Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us, everybody. It is October 27th, Monday. We're back from Las Vegas from the National NBA Conference. That was another very successful conference. And kudos, again, to all the NBA staff who put together just what I thought was probably one of the over-the-top outstanding conferences, as so many of them are. They just keep doing a better and better job at these conferences. And I thought they're they're always been great. So, uh, But this one was good. There was just a lot of walking, folks. It was at the Las Vegas venue at the uh, Mandalay Bay. And uh, 10-minute walks between various places where receptions were or meetings were. So it was, a, it was like a mile journey. Assuming you walk 10-minute miles, uh, it, we were all walking a mile every time we had to go back and forth between the places. It was We are all worn out, but it's good to be home, good to be with you. Again, this broadcast is created by Mortgage Professionals for Mortgage Professionals. And we're the proud recipient of the Progress in Lending Award, and we appreciate that so much. Also, uh, we have as our special guest today, Mike Frantoni, the CN's, uh, Chief Economist for the NBA. He's uh, many good things there. You're, I think he's also the Senior Vice President, even EVP there. But anyway, senior guy, and just really honored to have him on. I sat in his presentation, both he and Marina Walsh gave the economic and mortgage outlook forecast for the industry, and that's what Mike is going to be presenting, the economic component of it, uh, today on the broadcast during the Hot Topics segment. Very excited to have him on. Great information there. Some real interesting things there. Uh, like I interviewed Steve, David Stevens just before, or during the uh, well, I interviewed him just before, but we played the broadcast of David Stevens, the interview of David Stevens on the broadcast last week, and uh, very interesting. He said, you want to pay close attention to what Mike Frantoni has to offer. There's some really interesting things, some little surprises in there, and uh, it did not disappoint. So you're going to want to stay tuned all the way through the broadcast. I'll tease you with the same thing, some interesting information, and uh, we have Mike on hold and on the line, going to be with us just shortly. Special thank you goes out to our sponsors, United Guarantee which is just doing an outstanding job of with their underwriting staff of achieving 24-hour turnaround on, nine, get this, 98% of all applications. Their underwriting teams at United Guarantee Corporation are surpassing the previous corporate records of achieving 24-hour turnaround. They're, achieving, they're surpassing these. 98% of the time, they're under getting loans underwritten in less than 24 hours on a full file applications for MI insurance. That's that's pretty incredible. That's right up there at near perfect. So MI underwriting has been uh, the focus of a three-year initiative there at United Guarantee, and their full-file MI applications are faster and easier for lenders to complete. So I encourage you to check it out. Uh, United Guarantee now employs over 200 personnel to who collaborate with each other on ensuring a 24-hour turnaround on submissions. Service like no other MI can offer is delivered through United Guarantee. For more information on the advantages of submitting a full file applications, contact your United Guarantee sales team uh, or visit www.ugcorp.com. 
forward slash day one to get to the specific information. And I encourage you to check it out. Again, ugcorp.com forward slash day one. Again, mortgage insurance underwritten by United Guarantee Residential Insurance Corporation. Also, a special thank you goes to Velma, the virtual electronic marketing assistant. Great group of folks there. They do a good job. I, I had the privilege of finally meeting Brent Amler there, meeting him in the person. I felt like I know this guy since birth. He, we've been talking so much. And they do such an outstanding job of helping us with our marketing. If you're looking for a, an electronic marketing uh, vehicle or assistant, check out Velma.com. Great people, great product, great service. Joe Farr. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I want to get over to you, Joe, just a minute, but I want to talk about the upcoming conferences, Joe, real quickly. we okay. got the MBA's Mergers and Acquisition M&A Workshop 2014, November 6th at the Westin in Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. You want to check this out, folks. This my, my business partner, Chuck Klein, speaking there, and that is going to be a very important conference. Of course, we also have the Independent Mortgage Bankers Conference coming up in the 1st of December out at one of my favorite hotels, Hotel Dell, in uh, on uh, Del Coronado, out there in the island of uh, San Diego. Great place to have a conference, especially this time of the year as it starts getting cooler. Also, we have the Texas Mortgage Bankers Association 64th Annual Education Seminar and Marketplace, November 19th and the 20th. I'm particularly that's also at the Westin in Houston in Memorial City. I'm particularly interested in having every warehouse letter listing to attend the uh, warehouse conclave. I kept saying conclave, conclave, November 19th. From 3 to 5, I'm moderating it, and this could be a great panel of great speakers. We literally have CFPB showing up, and we're going to be talking about the controversial mini-core respondent lending program. So problem, program, problem, whatever it is, it's a hot topic, and so we're going to be talking about it. Now, this is for warehouse lenders, but they are opening it up for the general public to attend. So it's good to be here with you all. Joe Farr, now we turn it over okay. to you for an update. Thank you. Good well, to have you here. Things are good this morning. MBS yeah, prices are up six thirty seconds, which about offsets all of last week's uh, small drop in prices. But uh, and we're near the high for the day. Uh pending home sales came out this morning. Wasn't wasn't a big market mover. They they did come in a little below expectations at up three tenths. Uh but it's still at one of the best levels of the year and it's the first month over month uh you know, year over year gain for a month. Uh, in 2014, so there's some good news in there, even though it's a little short of short of expectations. And then, uh, you know, last week finally was a relatively calm week. It was uh, finally MBS prices did fall, but it was only by 6:30 seconds. So again, we're, we've offset that today. And uh, uh, you know, I noticed far fewer midday price changes. I mean, there were there were a couple days in the week before last that. Uh, there were four price changes in a day, so or four price sheets, three price changes. Yes, really uh, saw some wild volatility. Not so much so last week. The economic data was pretty much as expected uh, on the housing side, and I'm sure Mike will talk more about this. But new and existing home sales uh, showed continued to show some improvement uh, in September from August, uh, and we're both pretty much close to what was expected. Uh, CPI came in at 1.7 percent. Uh, on a year-over-year basis, which is uh, uh, about what was expected, and and is you know indicates tame inflation. Uh, I'm wondering what the big drop in gasoline prices is going to do. The headline CPI is likely to show a pretty good drop here in a month or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
initial jobless claims, uh, not a not you know a huge market moving event, but they've been below three hundred thousand now for six weeks in a row, and that combined with a couple hundred thousand a month or more in uh, uh, net new ja- uh, gains in the jobs report, uh, all are consistent with an improving uh, um, unemployment rate. So. Uh, I'll be interested to hear what Mike has to say about the, their forecast for the unemployment rate. Uh, and that was pretty much it for last week. This week, though, is a little bigger. Uh, the big event is going to be Wednesday, yeah, with the Fed the Fed meeting, the statement following the Fed meeting on Wednesday at 2 o'clock. Uh, you know, they've already announced the end of QE. And, and so yep. uh, at the end of October, there'll be the end of uh, their purchases, other than they're still um, – replacing their portfolio so they'll be still in the market some you know as it runs off the uh investors are going to be more interested in and the market's going to be more interested in you know their guidance on a couple things one what the weaknesses that we're seeing in the overseas economies might do to the US economy and then what might that do to their uh expectation for the beginning to raise the Fed funds rate. So uh, it should be, uh, well, it will be a time to pay attention, uh, maybe a ho-hum event. I don't know. Not, not a lot of uh, changes expected, but boy, if there is one, it could be a market mover. Big market uh, mover, yes. Before the Fed announcement, we're going to have durable orders come out. They come out tomorrow. And then on Thursday, we get the first look at the third quarter GDP Uh Consensus is calling for a three percent annualized growth rate in the second uh, in the third quarter. You'll remember the second quarter was uh, when ultimately revised was four point six percent. So, a bit of a drop. But remember, the first quarter was weak, weather related, spilled over into the second quarter. So, a three percent growth rate in the third quarter would pretty much keep us on pace for a three percent growth rate or around there anyway. Uh, so far this year. Uh, and then core PCE, uh, you know, the other Fed's favorite inflation indicator, comes out on Friday. Uh, I think like CPI, core P- PCE is going to show that, that inflation's well-contained and well below Fed's uh, 2% sort of uh, uh, target expected yeah. rate, target rate. And, uh, uh, and, and certainly low inflation gives them... The ability to continue to stimulate uh, maybe longer than they would otherwise. So that's it. Uh, we'll really hear what's going on when when Mike gets on the on the call a little later. We do. Yeah, looking forward to that. Good report. Uh, yeah, thanks for holding down the fort here. Uh, yeah, while the rest of us were out there walking our legs off last week, Joe. Yeah, sounds Good like to have you on here. like I, I I probably feel a little better right now than I would if I'd been. <laughs> maybe not just for the rock walking part. Yeah, well, we uh, th- th- with all the volatility last week, we appreciated having a little calm. We were able to focus on the conference rather than having our keeping our uh, you know devices up and we're re- monitoring the markets every second. But anyway, so we appreciate you supplying us a calm week last week so we can enjoy the conference, Joe. Appreciate sure it so much. You bet. Good to have you with us, everybody. We're going to be right back. Got Paul Mallow on the line and then Alice Alvey. So got a lot full lineup. Got Sam Garcia, but, you know, we got Mike Frantorti. Stay on the line all the way through. The broadcast should be good. We'll be right back after this brief break. Looking for that competitive edge? 
MBS Quoteland delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect and know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at mbsquoteline.com. mbsquoteline.com. 646-716-4972. The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin'. Always good to have you with us. Always good to have you tuned in. And we always love it when we have our good friend Paul Mallo on the line. In fact, if you go to his website, www, is that three W's? I hope so, imf2s.com, he's got a great article. And I like what you're starting off with here at the top of the article. Plenty of investors eyeing non-agency space, even PIMCO. PIMCO, PIMCO, PIMCO. I mean, that is, that's an encouraging article. So, Tell us about it. Good to have you with us, Paul. Careful with that pronunciation there, David. I know. (laughs) PIMCO. Listen, this is, you know, PIMCO, I think, was playing in the non-performing loan space. Um, You know, I I never got a a final accounting what what they did or didn't do in that area. Uh, So now they're eyeing subprime or non-prime or whatever you're calling it these days, non-QM. And, you know, it really shouldn't be surprising. I mean, let's face it, bond investors are dying for yield. Uh, you know, there's talk that maybe the, the junk bond market or what people call high yield is, is maybe a little too frothy. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of hope in, in, in the non-QM space. I mean, that's pretty clear these days with all the programs being rolled out. You know, and we'll know by year end how many of these programs translated into any real volume. But there's at least an effort underway in the industry to make you know, non-QM, non-prime loans, or, you know, these are close to, more close to the old-style uh, all-day loans that we, were being made in the industry. You know, PIMCO is, is out there from what my sources tell me. You know, they, they've expressed interest in buying uh, the end paper as well as maybe, you know, making an investment in a, in a mortgage company. Uh, and, you know, listen, they want yield. Uh, bond investors want yield. Uh, PIMCO wouldn't talk to me about what they're doing, didn't return phone calls. That sort of thing. But it's an interesting development, and the big one that we had recently, and we mentioned in this story, was Varde uh, buying a Deep Haven Mortgage and committing $300 million to the space. Um, so, you know, non-QM is here, and we're going to see whether this turns out to be a pipe drain or something real. Uh, and it's going to be something that's fascinating for uh, us uh, in the trade press and others to watch. So uh, the other story we have no out question. there, Aquin late Friday came out with a, a letter to uh, its mortgage customer, customers basically trying to explain away what, what was going on last week with New York State, where basically New York State said, you know, you screwed up the dates on your loan modification letters. They were 30 days too early. And, of course, they, you know, 30 days, you, you had 30 days to <laughs> reply to the loan modification. So basically wiped out the time you had. Uh, and yeah, but their answer is, hey, you know, we're going, you know, they're going out there to their their customers saying, you know, our, we made a mistake, but no one lost their homes, no one got foreclosed on. You know, Aquin is, is a, and I've said this before, it's a fascinating story. It's going to be fascinating to continue to see what happens because New York State uh, has not given up on on this company, at least. You know, they're continuing to investigate them. There's been no formal charges. Their stock is cratered. 
And, you know, right. where are we going to go with this thing? And, uh, you know, are there going to be some big settlement down the road that basically gets New York State off their back? And if New York State finally gets off their back, will someone else come along and, and try and make an example of them for whatever? Uh, fascinating story. Uh, also, Fannie Mae, late on Friday, or I think it was Saturday morning, I'm not sure, they reached a settlement with shareholders. This is interesting because basically – yeah, uh, this is people who bought the stock before the crash, uh, pension funds, estates, and Fannie basically settled the matter out of court, uh, $170 million. And I guess the question is, you know, we're going to see more of these. And, you know, and this money is coming directly from the taxpayers to pay the shareholders. So it's sort of ironic in a way Fannie sued the Dickens uh, out of everyone uh, who sold them crappy you know, subprime bonds, and now Fannie's settling uh, with people because they sold them crappy stock. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know where this <laughs> can play out, but it's it's interesting. Uh, Brandon Ivey crunched some data for us out of the new Humda database that came out of the Fed. No surprise there, but California was once again the jumbo market leader. What's so fascinating right. about that is that, you know, the number two New York State is, is number two by a, a big fat margin. Uh, so um, that's interesting. Uh, HUD is uh, going to let his property flipping waiver lapse at year end. That's from George Brooks. And in the short take section, uh, we got stories, uh, one from Barclays basically saying the, the new kinder, gentler buyback regime probably isn't going to make much of a difference to the big banks. Uh, and there's a bunch of small and sundry items there as well. Uh, one other thing, Nation Star recently hired John Hodge to be its VP of uh, Correspondent Lending. That's that's not real fresh, but that's interesting because Nation Star, unlike Aquin, is making a real push in originations, and that's also one of Aquin's problems. It's got too much servicing and not enough production. So that's all the good stuff. Good stuff on here. Lots of excellent information. Encourage you all, all our listeners, to check it out. www.imfnews.com. And uh, Paul, appreciate you dialing in. We've got Mike Frattentoni on. I'd love to have you stay on and the whole broadcast because we're going to go over the economic forecast. And I'm sure you've already seen the numbers, but there should be some great information. But it's always fun to have you on. And uh, sorry we missed you in Las Vegas, but I got to tell you, where you. Didn't miss the walking, I'll tell you that. That was incredible. <laughs> That's like a bicycle that a great car. Yeah, they, I, I tell you, when they have a conference like that, they need to have the, the vendor that would have rented Segways or you know subsidized Segways to be there. That was the deal. That would have been. We do another venue like that one. We need all need to get bring Segways to the to the event. So good. Uh, sorry, I didn't hook up with um, George when he was there. I would love to have. A, a, uh, it was George that was right there, right? No, John, John Bancroft was there. John, John, John Bancroft. Why did I say George for it? John, I think it was John. John Paul, well, anyway. George Ringo. It's, it gets confusing. Yeah, yeah. They're all confused. But thank God we got Paul of the Fab Four. And there, I appreciate you tuning in and being with us today, my friend. Thanks for having Have me. Have a great week. And I'm you sure too. we'll talk bye. to you throughout the week. All right, bye. Lots going on in the market. And, of course, Paul just really does such a good job of covering it. You know, I should you know, always put in a good word for the MBS, NBA Newslink, another one of those valued resources we always go to. And uh, we got to get someone on from there to help us here. Mike, we well, have to make sure that happens. Let's turn to our charming, informative, always intelligent, witty Alice Alvey. What other adjectives could I throw in there uh, for you, Alice? <laughs> it's great great to see you in your booth and see you in action. Uh you know, we spend so much time together on the phone, but it's it's really it, we we tend to love conferences together. But it was really great to be with you and to really see you in action at your booth. I mean, my gosh, I 
I stand there and listen to you talk to prospects. It just blows me away how much knowledge you have there up there in your head. It's just phenomenal. Really great job, though. <laughs> Well, thank well, thank you. Yeah, we spent a lot of time doing that mile walk between the booth and the meeting room. You know, it was uh, definitely mm-hmm. a good week for exercise. You didn't feel bad with all the other eating and drinking that was going on. <laughs> also <true>. walking. <laughs> so, uh, you well, did walk you. it off. That's great for sure. Yeah, it's always fun to get a chance to see everybody uh, and you know, just kind of just see that the industry is still very viable and alive. And, uh, you know, obviously technology was a big part of the conversation uh, to be able to make things better and faster. So, uh, but my news, I know we need to get to Mike, so I want to make sure I get a chance to give everybody a heads up that the QM revisions were the CFPB press release said, oh, we've only made minor changes. But the reality is there's some pretty significant changes from the proposed rule that is giving us this little cure window for our QM points and fees test. So we've talked about this through the proposed rule stage, pressed everyone to make sure that they commented because CFPB was uh, tossing around very short windows after closing where you would be able to uh, issue a cure to the customer. Essentially, you know, you identify that you didn't meet the points and fees test, cut the customer a check, and be able to solve your legal problems. Uh, What CFPB brought up in their ruling was just the idea that they're concerned that lenders have created a buffer zone, right, like we all do. Well, you know, if it's a three-point limit, maybe we should have 2.75 or 2.99. You know, you, you give yourself a little room for making a mistake, in the pricing so that you don't make a mistake on, on something as big as a points and fees test and end up with a non-QM loan. So the, um, in, uh, CFPB does see some consumer advantages. So we're given a 210-day window. The logic behind that is that you should have your quality control done within six months within the 180 days, and then you get uh, 30 days to make sure that you cut a check to the customer if you found a mistake. Now, in this rule, there are three times, three instances that can occur that would mean you don't have the right to cure your loan. Uh, Two of them have to do with the consumer themselves files action with an attorney. They call the lawyer faster than you get to making the fix. Um, or the or the lo, the borrower actually sends a notice to the servicer that they think that they uh, that there's been a violation of points and fees. You know, so you can have the consumer notifying us, or the consumer goes straight to an attorney. That automatically stops the the cure ability. And then the last one being that the consumer becomes 60 days past due. So if you don't include already in your EPD reviews to check double and triple and quadruple check. You know, the QM test, get that on the list. Because once they become delinquent, essentially what the law is saying, the consumer is going to still have all their legal rights to go after ability to repay. Because you're talking about that it goes 60 days delinquent within the first six months, and that could clearly indicate there's an underwriting problem. So, folks, what this means is you need to revise all your policies and procedures. You don't have to define good faith. Oh, it doesn't say that you, you have to. You can just hear the groans. Yeah. You can just hear, again, you have to revise. Oh. Yeah, yeah. You want to make sure you put all this in writing on how you allow the cure, what your policies are for the cure, and your procedures, uh, because that's your defense that you're able to use it. You can't just go all of a sudden pick up that you're going to uh, uh, process a cure and you had nothing in writing that said, we have a policy and procedure that allows for this and this is how we go about it. Uh, so if you want to use the cure, you have to have a written policy and procedure. So to get that done, we're certainly glad to help you with that feel free to send me an email or go to mortgage-u.com. 
so those are the biggest things, I think, in this uh, revised QM final rule. Uh, you can get all of the information from the CFPB website. Hey, this one's only 100 pages. It's a piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're wow. getting used to the 1,000-page versions. So um, <sighs> there are some things for small creditors in this as well. So those of you, uh, small servicers, I should say, so those of you may fall into that bucket. All of those provisions in the original proposed rule did uh, did come to play. So I think it's overall, you know, a little mini win, but you've got to have policies in place to be able to get it to work. So that's my report today, Dave, so we can get to Mike Bratton. Good report. Yeah, I can't wait. Appreciate you so much, Alice. It was great seeing you and see Rajan there. I mean, we had him on as a guest talking about offshoring when the whole Flagstar story kind of came out, and uh, he did a great job. And, you know, the whole group there, I mean, you guys got some, Indicom's got some very impressive services. And I uh, encourage people to check it out. But Alice, to get a hold of Alice, you definitely can head, you email her directly or get a hold of her by emailing her at alice.lv at indecom, I-N-D-E-C-O-M-M.net, or get a hold of her. Call her at the office, 248 737 0366. Good to be good to have you with us and we'll be right back after this brief break. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. Well, it's good to have uh, the Indicom ad, and I always listen to that, Andy, uh, uh, Drew, or Andy, as we call them both. Uh, Alvy does these ads. I always just give him a shout-out on these while I listen to what the great job he does. So many people say that, Dave, your radio broadcast is a podcast, but it's like it's a really professionally well done. It's, it's a result of you know the contributions of many, for sure, one of which is Andy Alvy, I want to say a special thank you to him. Let's get in, turn on the mic for Sam Garcia. Got some information from Sam that's very interesting. Again, Sam has a mortgagedaily.com. And uh, Sam, I'm looking forward. We've got a couple minutes here to run through some of the hot stories you are focusing on this week. Mortgage closing rates deteriorates. Uh, that's some data out of LMA, correct? That's right. That's right. They reported that the closing rate dropped to 58.1% in September from 61.1% in August. And, you know, I'd speculate that we've seen an uptick in business recently from rates, and that probably has, you know, uh, caused people to be able to do a little bit more uh, low-hanging fruit business, if you know what I mean. So yeah. um, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Another interesting uh, uh, observation is that, on the one hand, we've got Fannie Mae that put out its economic forecast, and it Fannie lowered its uh, forecast for this year by $7 billion to $1.098 trillion in originations. And it lowered next year's uh, forecast to $1.013 trillion from $1.047 trillion. And what's interesting is over at Freddie Mac, 
Freddie Mac raised at the same time its estimate for this year uh, to 1.2 trillion, and, and also raised the 2015 estimate to 1.1 trillion. And the same thing over at Mortgage Bankers Association, they they raised uh, their outlook to 1.106 trillion from. 1.007 trillion. So maybe Michael have some insight on where the the variance comes between Fannie and uh, an MBA. But uh, yeah, look at that. Kind of interesting. Um, the yeah. other thing is the uh, refinances over at Freddie Mac. Uh, we got some data from the FHFA, and it showed that uh, Freddie Mac had a surge in refinances uh, to 58,000 or a little bit more uh, in uh, August versus uh, 44,000 in July, whereas over at uh, Fannie Mae, they actually fell. Uh, Fannie fell to a little over 73,000 refinances in August from 75 uh, and a half over at, uh, in July. Uh, another uh, story we picked up on was uh, FHA originations. We got some data from HUD that gave us uh, information about uh, August residential endorsements. They were down 5% from July. And um, in addition, what we saw was that delinquency deteriorated. The 30-day delinquency rose 54 basis points to 13.49. So usually we're seeing across the board that delinquency numbers are, have been uh, improving recently, but a little bit of a, a worsening over there at uh, FHA. Um, last week we saw that uh, 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 there was a drop in new mortgage activity. Our, our mortgage market index uh, dropped uh, 15%, and that's followed a week where we jumped uh, 30% when those rates really tumbled. So uh, that's kind of a little bit of a disappointment. And out front of this decline were jumbo uh, loans, which fell uh, uh, as a result of the rates climbing, whereas jumbos had been priced less than conforming loans uh, right. until recently. Uh, this last week, they actually shot up above conforming rates. So that kind of hurt the jumbo business more than hurt any other category that we tracked. Um, we saw that Black Knight reported a 30-day delinquency rate, including foreclosures, was 7.43% in September, and that's down from 7.70. So that's kind of an ongoing trend across the board for overall uh, loan performance, residential loan performance. And then uh, one last thing I wanted to mention was uh, on Friday, the uh, OCC shut down uh, Chicago Bank, the National Republic Bank of Chicago. Now, this bank – I saw was, uh, that was 117 years old. So you think of all the uh, events it's made it through, including the Great Depression and the Great Recession, just proved too much for this particular bank. They have nearly a billion dollars in assets. So that's a pretty big uh, bank for as far as one that fails recently, because um, usually you know, they're probably in the 100 to $300 million uh, range. But this is a right. fairly good size one. And that brings uh, this year's bank failures to 16. And that puts us on pace to be a much lower than last year when we had 24 bank failures in, yeah. in, uh, in 2013. And that brings also Mortgage Daily's uh, tracking uh, of mortgage-related closings and failures to 62 entities we've tracked so far this year. Interesting. A lot of good information. Thank you. Good energy. I love it. Good stuff. I've Always a pleasure, along David. Here. Always so much fun. Check out the, the his uh, website. Go to www.mortgagedaily.com. Great information. Again, I'm always talking about the stats that uh, Sam and his team put together. Really good information. And if you want to just have a check out where things are at, some of the statistics, really good stuff. Appreciate you taking time to be with us. Thanks very David. much. You betcha, Sam. Talk to you soon. Again, thanks. See you back here next week. Folks, we are, we've got Mike Frantoni that we're going to have on the line here in just a minute. We will take a quick break and be back with the economic forecast for 2015. 
delivered by Mike Frattentoni, the chief economist of the NBA. Folks, we'll be right back after this brief break. Mortgage Banking Solutions is the preeminent management consulting firm to the residential mortgage lending industry. No other firm in the U.S. offers the menu of services or the level of expertise to the industry. If you're looking for help converting from best efforts to hedging or need help with bookkeeping to know your profit per loan, if you are interested in making the transition from broker to banker, or if you just need a roadmap for success, Mortgage Banking Solutions' primary focus is to enable executives to take their business to the next level and guide them down a path towards success and profitability. With over 300 Combined years of experience in all facets of mortgage lending, the Mortgage Banking Solutions team of professionals has the expertise and know-how to help you accomplish your goals. New warehouse lines of credit, broker-to-banker transitions, transitioning to hedging, financial and accounting services, or meeting your capitalization needs. If you need help with these or any other aspects of your business, please contact a Mortgage Banking Solutions sales team to see how we can help you at 512-977-9900. It's 512-977-9900. Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Good to have you with us, everybody. Appreciate you tuning in. I'm very excited to introduce to you Mike Frantoni. Uh Now, the website says Vice President. I thought you were way up above that, Mike. Uh, excuse me, I better turn on your mic here. That would help if I turned on your mic. There we got you on. Um, so I know this, that you're the Single Family Research and Policy Development Mortgage Bank Association, also the chief economist. I don't know if this is an old website, Mike, but you just do such a great job. I encourage people to check out your full bio. And I would love to go re- all the way through it, but you, know, you are a guy that has just done so much there at the NBA, still doing so much, and we're so grateful for you taking a few moments out of your day to join us here. Uh, I should mention that um, he received his Ph.D. in economics from John Hopkins University and a B.A. in economics from the College of William & Mary. So with that strong background and, uh, of course, tutored under, uh, studied under, or not studied, well, worked with one of my favorite guys, uh, Jay Brinkman. It's just good to have you back on the broadcast, Mike. Dave, thanks for having me. Really appreciate the invitation and uh, always happy to talk to you and to your group. Well, you're such a classy guy and yet, you know, it, what's so one of the things I think when you're working with chief economists, you you assume that you're you're uh you're talking to someone that you just can't really relate to. What I enjoy most about you, Mike, you're just so relatable. You're you just will Talk about things at whatever level there's at, and you have to break it down and put it pretty simple for guys like me at times because there's a lot of complexities going in the market. But let's get into, without further ado, getting into what your forecast, economic forecast, is. And so kick it off. Start with GDP and run through. I'm looking at your slides from the presentation. And by the way, if you're a member of the NBA and you attended the conference, you can get copies of the slides. These are for members only for the NBA. So if you think we're trying to keep them from you, I, listen, folks, we support the NBA. We believe you should be a member. Simple solution. Want a copy of the slides? Get to be a member and then write Mike, and we'll get that information at the end of the broadcast. But let's start off by talking about what your forecast is. Mike, if you could kind of run through that, it'd be good. Sure thing. And, you know, really appreciated the comments made earlier in, in the broadcast. This has been one heck of a month in terms of volatility in the financial markets and different signals pointing different which ways. And, you know, there comes a time when you're doing a forecast where you, you got to put the pencil down and, and just make your decisions. And luckily for us, what we were able to, to think about this right up until the convention, because, again, that wild week we had of financial market volatility and, you know, all the bad news out of Europe, 
really did uh, did, did change our perspective a bit. So, you know, the data from the United States is is looking strong, and and to my eyes is is getting stronger. Uh, so we're looking yeah. for GDP growth of three percent or more over the next twelve months. You know, for the full year of 2015, just a little bit below that, uh, so 2.9 for the year. Um, you know, that's coming from strong consumer right. spending, really across the board. It's coming from business spending on, on new plant and equipment. You're beginning to see the, the pace of manufacturing activity really begin to pick up. And uh, in order to keep that up, businesses are going to have to reinvest in, in their plant and equipment. Um, I was thinking you know, about. I want to. I want to go back and comment just briefly with the volatility that preceded the conference. I was. My heart was going out to you. I thought of you several times. In fact, I thought I'd call you, but I didn't want to take up any of your bandwidth. But it, it has got to be a challenge. How? One of the questions that someone asked me to ask you on the broadcast that was there and listened to your presentation. They go, "How often do you have to make updates to this?" I mean, because this is very fluid. There are so many moving pieces. And the process by which you go forward, how often are you making revisions to the the numbers we're going to be running that you already started outlining and, and or laying out, and then uh, what you make throughout the year? I mean, what is the process by which you do that? Well, we we try to be really very disciplined about it. So we we put out our monthly update mid month uh, 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 for for each month, and you know we have a range of different inputs that we. Uh, utilized to really try to inform that update. Uh, some is just the the flow of data. Some is, uh, particularly on the housing and mortgage side, is is really just a lot of conversations with people all across the industry. I mean that that's the real benefit of sitting in the seat that I sit in is that I have yes. access to people in uh, every corner of this market. And so I'm, I'm not I'm not just looking at the numbers. I, I have. Uh, uh, sort of a narrative that goes behind that. I think it really does help really inform our forecast better than most. Well, it does, and you, the input you have from everyone else. But I, I think some of the inflation numbers, Joe was talking about that. Where do you see inflation and unemployment going as we look into 2015? So the the unemployment one's easier. Let me start there. So we, we were at 5.9 last month, which is you know, the lowest we've been since early 2008. Uh Given this GDP growth that I was talking about, we think that job growth is going to really continue to be strong for at least the next 12 to 18 months, so 220000 on average per month, and that will be good enough to get the unemployment rate down to about 5.4% by the end of 2015, 52 by the end of 2016. Those levels are important. Once you're below 6%, it really is sort of a, a, a difference in the way employers and employees begin to behave uh, we think you're going to start to see some more rapid growth in wages, or for many cases, growth in wages for the first time that they've they've seen in years. So for the housing market, that's extremely positive that you're going to yes. see people feeling yes. both more confident uh, that they're going to have jobs and beginning to see raises in inflation-adjusted terms for for the first time in in a while. Now on on the inflation side. Um, I don't know. So I, I've been in the industry for for a bit, David. You, you'll you'll remember this. You go back to, to yeah. 1998, um, 1990s. We also had sort of a slow economic recovery after a, a really persistent recession. Things were beginning to pick up speed in 1998. Then we had the mm -hmm. Asian crisis and the Russian debt default. I think what we're experiencing now it 
it's, it's, it may not be the same, but it kind of rhymes with that experience because we have strong growth in the U.S., which is bringing down the unemployment rate. But we have this right. global environment, which is keeping rates down and lowering things like energy prices, oil prices, commodities prices, which are going to keep downward pressure on inflation. So, uh, you know, it's not it's not a perfect environment, but it is a very good environment for, for a housing market to have both uh, strong and growing uh, uh, job markets and really uh, very much contained inflation. Uh, you, even though we're, I know we'll talk about the Fed here in a second, even though short-term rates are likely to be increasing, longer-term rates that are most important for the market are going to be kept lower than they otherwise would have because of everything that's going on abroad, You know, whether it's the Russia and Ukraine situation, what's going on with ISIS and Syria and Iraq, uh, or the news that you know Europe may be headed for for yet another year of recession, with uh, you know France being downgraded and and uh, German production slowing, all these things are weighing on long-term rates globally. I honestly think that's going to be to the net benefit of of the U.S. economy and the U.S. housing market. Interesting, interesting. Well, let's talk about Fed funds rate because you know you're you're predicting that or projecting predicting or projecting that they're going to be heading up. How high and how does that relate to 2016? So the Fed will be meeting tomorrow and, and Wednesday, and I think uh, as, as Joe had mentioned earlier in the broadcast, certainly the expectation is they're going to say, "Okay, done with QE, no more net additions to their balance sheet." And what everybody's going to what everybody's going to be watching is you know, what are they signaling with respect to that first rate move? We think they'll first begin to raise short-term rates in, in June or July of next year. But really okay. think about it as a window. You know, sometimes sort of April, May to September, with, with June as being that most likely outcome. I don't think from the standpoint of the mortgage market, it's not going to matter that much whether we go what, one month earlier or later. But that, that's what you think about. But you think over the next couple of years, uh, we're going to go from uh, a Fed funds rate, which is effectively zero, to one that's closer to 4% by the time we get to 2017 or 2018. Okay. I think given some of these global events that, that I was talking about and given just sort of concerns about the global economy, they move, may move a little more slowly towards that 4% than they would have a couple of months ago. Uh, but it's still it's still going to be up. Uh, but we are going to have a much, much flatter yield curve over the next couple of years if they're raising short-term rates. And I'm right in thinking that longer-term rates are, are uh, going to be kept uh, lower than otherwise by some of these global uh, anxieties. Yeah, the global anxiety is really one of those um, factors that you just can't really predict. But you just know it's out there. That there's enough seeds of everything going on. How does it relate into the Treasury, the 10-year Treasury, and then the 30-year um, fixed-rate mortgage uh, projections as far as what we're dealing with interest rate wise. We now we know as Freddie Mac rate survey, the actual thirty year fixed rate again last week fell again. Uh it was below still staying below four percent. You know, how does that weigh into all of this and give our listeners a little insights what you're projecting? Sure thing. So uh we are now thinking that thirty year mortgage rates are just barely going to be poking above five percent by the end of twenty fifteen. So that's about six months later than uh, in some of our prior forecasts. Yeah. Uh, and exactly yes. to your point, it really is tied to what we've seen in terms of, of Treasury rates. Treasury rates, which in September were 2627, are between 2 and 2.2 and 2.3 today. So 
So really what we've done with our forecast is really recognize that this is not a, a temporary drop given what some of the stuff that's going on around the world. Uh, and so we've, we've lowered our path going forward by that sort of 30 to 40 basis point increment. And that's reflected in, in our mortgage rate forecast as well. Now, uh, you know, similar to what I said, you know, Harkening back to, to 1998, the the Fed is going to, in some ways, going to be able to, ha- to have its cake and eat it too, right? They're going to be uh, raising yeah. short-term rates without really the cost of pushing up long-term rates and so uh, likely won't have the same kind of impact on uh, on the housing market as, you know, if we had been in a uh, pre-1990s world where it, every step they took on the short end pushed the push the long end up. Push the long end up, yeah. So you're seeing a real flat yield curve at this point is what you're you're seeing here throughout the I think that, yeah, by the time we get to 2016, 2017, it's going to be a very flat yield curve. So that's good. We may be at the end of the 2015 just bumping up to the to the upper, I mean, just getting into the 5% or still right there. That's, that's encouraging. That should, we should have a decent year. So let's get in talking about you know our origination projections. Refinance volume uh, has recently picked up. We've seen some of that as a result of this dip below four. But what are you projecting? That's not going to stay that way. When are rates going to go back up above four? Any sense of that? And then what is that going to do to refinance? Yeah, so you probably saw we had a real bang-up week last week, so the week ending October yes. 17th. You know, our refi index and our weekly application survey was up 23%. Uh, and what, what wow. some of the investment bank analysts really picked up was not only was the index up, but the average loan size uh, uh, in terms of a refi application was its highest ever. It was at 300000 Um We dove into that, that was data a surprise. A little, that that yeah. was a big surprise. And uh, dove into the data a little bit more for loans above 700000 apps more than doubled during the week, right? So you have a mm-hmm. lot of jumbo borrowers who, uh, you know, maybe they, maybe they're just the the, um, uh, the lending opportunities weren't there last time rates were low. Now you have a very, very competitive jumbo market, uh, and these borrowers are extraordinarily sensitive to drops in rates, and they all sent in an application that week. Mm-hmm. I, think you're, I think you're right. I, um, so if the refi index was... Uh, almost at 2000 last week. I don't think we're going to stay at that level uh terribly long, but we did adjust our forecast. Uh you know, added about 50 billion to 2015 refi origination volume just based that. upon these rate moves over the last couple of weeks. Um given sort of app to close times, we we think that most of the apps taken these past couple of weeks probably won't close until 2015. So it really is reflecting more in early in first half of 2015 volume than in in 2014. How much is that could uh, the refinance jump? I mean, obviously rates are the biggest significant factor. But now you you mentioned something that they did take advantage, and I think you were speaking about jumbos, or did not take advantage of refinances, but it may have been across all price categories uh, because of where property values were. We've had some nice appreciation, double digit for a couple of years. Now we're slowed a little bit to single digit appreciation, uh, which I think is healthier. Uh, is that a contributing factor? Beyond the rates, is that people can they weren't they're not locked into underwater uh, situations. I think it is. You think about it, even in our prior forecast, who was going to be interested in refinancing who who haven't already been to the well a couple of times over the past couple of years, 
and it was going to be somebody who's uh, who wasn't able to refinance when we were in that three and a half to four range uh, previously. So they didn't have equity. Maybe they had a delinquency on their record. They're waiting for that to sort of roll off. Uh, but I think for particularly for those jumbo borrowers, there was largely a, an equity issue. It could be interesting. Um, you know, you might have some borrowers as well who who bought uh, sometime in the last four four or five years, uh, maybe bought with MI, and but given some of the strong uh, home price appreciation we've seen in the past couple of years, maybe they could refinance out of MI. So even if um, uh, even if their note rate doesn't change very much, there might be some incentive there to be able to lower their payment, sort of recognize the amount of equity they have mm-hmm. in their property. Well, let's let's talk about purchase originations. You're, uh, I like the number I'm seeing on the slide that you had uh, that you were talking about for 2015. Very encouraging, and uh, continued growth there. So, uh, if interest rates are going up, you're they're they're not going to be going up by much. And so you're saying what I'm seeing here is that they're not going to go up by enough to hurt the purchase market. So you're fairly bullish on the purchase market, is what it looks like here. Yeah, so uh, in terms of volume, we're, we're forecasting about a 15% gain in purchase volume, and that, that the refis we were talking about, full years, about a 3% drop. So, so all in, uh, 7% gain in volume. But on the purchase side, really, that's being driven by the stronger job market that I talked about, and just the uh, the increase in confidence that I think many people will have as begin be, you begin to see wage gains for the first time, really, really in years. Um, yeah. yeah, and so that and that 15% gain in 15 relative to 14, um, we've also revised up both our 13 and, and 14 estimates based upon the most recent Humda data, uh, which did show, and you know, as, as many people really had recognized through the course of the year, um, some smaller, particularly smaller independent lenders really getting a, uh, an increasing chunk of, of that purchase volume. And so we've reflected that in our latest estimates for uh, 13, 14, and 15. Very interesting. Home sales, uh, you know, yes, purchase originations, then you're projected for 2013 in the $731 billion for uh, purchase volume, and then just slightly more than that in uh, 2016. But And it's driven by uh, new home sales, and the, you know, that's, I see that number. I thought my, we might see that number a little bit bigger, but let's talk about it. Sure. Uh, you know, on the existing home sales side, we're forecasting about a 5% increase. So, you know, really just uh, slowly making Very our modest. way back up. Yeah, so we're at 5.1 million, 5.2 million. You know, for for a country the size of the U.S. with a typical rate of turnover, you'd expect something up, uh, above 6 million. Uh, and we are just still yeah. being held back because I think mobility rates have, have slowed as, as people are recovering from the crisis. On the new home sales side, you know, we're projecting about 503,000. Just to keep up with household formation, you, you really need a, a million new home sales per year. So uh, even with, you know, slightly higher rates um, and with some of the, the gains in prices that we've seen, uh, we are going to be drifting back up to that million over the next couple of years, and I, I think it would take a, a real profound slowdown in the broader economy uh, to get a lower new home sales number than what we're showing here. The, I want to open the mic up to Joe and Alice, let them get in here with any questions. Uh, we could go on and on, but Joe, let's start with you. You're, I mean, Alice, 
just a minute, but I know you're listening okay. to all of this and taking it all in. What's some questions that are rolling around? Looking at the clock and how much time we have left, I want to make sure I get your questions in here. Well, I want to go back to the Fed because it, it's as though we've shifted from uh, the doves on the uh, – or a dovish Fed being a friend to the mortgage industry because of its quantitative easing policies to now we may be – uh, we we may prefer a hawkish uh, Fed, given that its primary objective is going to be to keep inflation under control. Is, is that your sense? And and you know, with the meeting coming up in a couple of days, if they continue to hold to this you know, status quo, we've got to keep them low for an extended period of time. Is that uh, any? Is that good or bad for mortgage rates? No, that's a great great question, Joe. I mean, uh, my sense is that. The mortgage industry is uh, is always going to be better off with a with a very alert Federal Reserve. <laughs> we, we don't really need them to be particularly hawkish or, or particularly dovish, but um, you, everyone's sort of old old enough to remember uh, sort of recalls what it was like when the Fed let <laughs> inflation get out of control, mm-hmm. and you, you don't you don't want to get there again. Um, no expectation that we'll wind up with uh, with 20% mortgage rates again, but uh, I think the the, the choice is: w- Would you rather have the the Fed raise rates sooner and less, or have uh, sort of force them to raise rates to a greater extent later? And I think we're always better off with them being a little bit on the on the earlier side, in order to keep longer rates from um, from rising in anticipation of uh, increases in inflation. So I, I think you're right. I think for, from an industry standpoint, we want them to to move in response to strength they see in the data and, and any potential for an increase in inflation. They don't need to be hyperactive, but we need them to be alert. Sure. Alice, do you have a couple let let you get a couple questions in here? Well, I'm going to keep my compliance hat on, so thanks, Mike, for all the scoop. And I, I love hearing about the housing uh, improvement, right? The improvement in pricing is great because obviously that means more home buyers and people have the ability to move and use their equity as you talked about already. So I'm gonna I'm gonna move towards the compliance side and say, you know, now that we have our final QRM rule, we're getting over the hump of really knowing everything about Dodd Frank and what's on the table, although we still have the integrated disclosures next year. I mean is is the compliance uncertainty component still within uh the market at all and within any pricing or do you feel we've kind of got that all priced in and we're able to move forward and focus on some standard economics? Good you know, question. I think the yeah the compliance challenges and also you know D- David you you were at the convention the the hot topic mm-hmm. there was Director Watts' comments with respect to to rep and oh, warrant yeah. and potential relief there so you know I, I I tell people you know I, I think about compliance with sort of a, a capital C not a small C so whether it's compliance with regulations from CFPB or, or the other regulators or just additional quality control to protect yourself from uh, from repurchase demands, it's really visible in, in our benchmarking data. And what my, my colleague Marina Walsh presented at the conference was just how much uh, expenses have increased to originate a loan. Um, that was and we went extraordinary. From- yeah, we went from four thousand yeah. dollars a couple uh, years ago to you know eight thousand dollars in the first quarter of this year. So really extraordinary increases. And when you parse it out, it really is spending on back office personnel, right? Your QC, QA, Reg Compliance, Risk Management folks that 
you know, I talked to some independent mortgage bankers. They used to have a person doing that work, and now they have a department. Um, and so it doesn't look like a like a temporary or a variable cost. Uh, it looks like a permanent fixed cost that is that is now a, a, a part of this industry. So, um, you know, we've seen profit margins being squeezed. We see, uh, you know, David, you mentioned our our M and A workshop. You know, a, a lot mm-hmm. of consolidation because in order to manage these fixed costs, uh, sometimes you need to be you need to be larger just, just to be able to yep. handle that with the fluctuation in volume that we've seen. So, I think there are some um, again some some real challenges. Uh, and so, given that now we're now forecasting a little bit of an increase in volume, I think people greeted that very positively. But uh, but David, I don't know what your what your conversations were like, but I the the sense was that it was a more upbeat crowd than I've seen in a couple of years. And um, I mean, it's, it's yes. just something that that surprised me, but it was a real it was a real a real sense yeah. of the room. In a segregated sense, the guys that are really small in net worth are worried. And there yeah. are a number of them that pulled me aside that are saying, hey, Dave, you know, I know you guys, Chuck Klein is one of the bigger M&A guys, your partner there. Uh, we don't want the word out, but we sure would like to be hearing about some deals. We're nervous about where net worth requirements are going. So I think you're hearing <coughs> excuse me, a concern about where that factor is going. Everyone seems to be pretty optimistic about the growth, where interest rates are at. That was upbeat. But those that are the larger ones that are sitting with capital, oh, absolutely. I've never seen those guys trying to be muted in their enthusiasm for where the market right. and opportunities are. They were oh, they were just hardly able to contain themselves what they see as the opportunities out there. And it, it is just one of those things. One of the questions that one of our listeners just sent in they want me to ask, Mike, is what do you think that we – what should everyone be paying attention to? What is Mike Fratton? Tony, paying attention to as some of the outliers that could really upend your predictions and uh, what's your your forecast here, your outlook. Sure, and you know one of the things I presented was okay. What are some alternative scenarios? It's it's tough being a forecaster. <laughs> you know, you, you learn humility real real quickly. But you know, what could lead volume to be higher than this? Uh, it would be a, a lower rate path that would likely be coming from. You know, some of these events that are at the the anxiety stage right now abroad really sort of bubbling over. And if we had lower rates for longer, I think refi volume would pick up quite a bit. Uh, you saw what happened the minute rates ticked below 4%. Uh, on the other side, I think we could get a significantly stronger purchase market. Uh, I mentioned some of the potential gains in terms of business investment. Uh, you're starting to see particularly yes. where, you, where you live, David, folks in the energy industry and some of the benefits there of really, really ramping that up. Uh, if you get a big pickup in, in business uh, spending and equipment, so look at the, uh, the, the, the monthly PMI, look at industrial activity, look at capacity utilization. If those numbers regularly come in above where we've been anticipating stronger growth, we'll get 3.5% growth and, you know, uh, monthly payrolls above 250,000. I think I think that would really be a signal of higher rates but stronger purchase market. Correct. Yeah, it's very fascinating. You did such an outstanding job of presenting there. How can people get a hold of you? What's your preferred way for people to get a hold of you uh, that are members that could want copies of your slides? Oh, definitely. Just drop me an email. So just mfratantony at mba dot org, and uh, always happy to hear from people. Yeah, Mike is just so accessible. Again, that's M. Fratantoni. That's spelled F-R-A-T-A-N-T-O-N-I at mba.org. I encourage you to reach out. Stay connected. Most importantly, if you're not involved with the MBA, number one, 
Sign up. Get involved. This is this membership is so critical with the voices, the regulations that we're fighting, uh, the compliance essentials that there's such a huge discount if you're a member. So I look at all those advantages. Then also get to these conferences. When you get a chance to sit down and listen to this information, this set, Mike's session, Mike and Marina's session was just absolutely packed out with people wanting to just drink on every word. It's kind of like, you know, Mike, you said, think about it. Janet Yellen, you have something in common. You can show up at a conference. Everyone's hanging on every word. How is he <laughs> phrasing this word? So you did a great job. Uh, we, we we just loved Jay when he was there, but you got you have filled those shoes so successfully, Mike, and doing just an outstanding job. And um, I'm just really an honor and privilege for you to take a few minutes out of your day to be here and join us. Thank you so much. Dave, thanks for having me. Talk to you later. You bet. In fact, Lex Parker just wrote in, says, good job, Mike. <laughs> he did a good job. <laughs> I appreciate that. You, we, you've got a lot of fans out there. I appreciate you taking time. Folks, we're at the end of the broadcast. There's so much we could sit and talk about and go on and on and on about, but it's just good to have you dialed in. We love hearing from you. I hear from our listeners, and it's, especially at these conferences. Tell us the guests that you would like to have on, and we're going to be featuring some of our guests. Very excited about that. A little surprises are coming up here a little bit later in the broadcast, or Later in the uh, in the year, we've got some guests, listeners, regular listeners coming on, and uh, I love your feedback. So many of you share your thoughts with what you like, what you don't like, things that you'd like to see better. I don't hear a lot of don't likes, but I hear some things, a few different ideas of what we could do better. Alice, Joe, do you have any final comments as we go out the window here to wrap up the broadcast? Joe, I see market, looking at the market right now, it looks like it's just kind of sitting right at uh, just slightly over par. Yeah, where we're we're, at, we're off that. the best. Yeah, we're, we're, we got up to as much as eight. 30 seconds today uh we're now down at three so um yeah we've given up the the best levels of the day yeah giving it up alice you got any parting comments for us as we uh yeah everybody check out the mortgage bankers association manual underwriting workshops that i will be conducting for them over the coming months one in dallas in december and other locations at the beginning of the year hey, manual underwriting is not dead. Everybody knows needs to know how to handle risk analysis. So check MBA yes, out for a, that. It was a lost art, but it's back. Alice is <laughs> teaching it, and you can't learn from anyone. There's just no one that's more you take on a topic like this. No one better to listen to and be trained by than Alice. Folks, good to be with you. Again, tell others about it. We've got someone on the MBA coming on. I think it will be Bill Kilmer coming on next week talking about the effectiveness of the uh, election, the importance of this. Talk to you all soon. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you. This has been Lincoln on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week, and thank you for listening.